Good, anyone not? <clears throat> the 13th ordinary meeting of the 168th session of the Literary and Scientific Society at Queen's University of Belfast was held on the 9th of January 2017 and was attended by 107 members. Prior members of business return from Mr. Jean McLennan, who wished to discuss the recent SU referendum. He asked if, given the low percentage turnout and the fact that some students may not have known what they were voting for, whether we would be seeing a second SU referendum. Secretary Wright, writers, my own name, raised further concerns about the turnout. Jason Bunting asked to consider the number of votes rather than percentage turnouts, while Craig Miller asserted that such a turnout at a general election would be regarded as disgraceful. Mr. Brimborough concluded the debate with a hark back to the 166th session by asking if it was high time that we start QBSU having a referendum. President Murphy then announced the motion of the evening, and this House supports a post Brexit United Ireland. <coughs> Opening the case of the proposition was Mr. Richie Gallagher. Mr. Gallagher got straight to the point by bringing to the House a number of studies which testified to the fact that Irish unification attained by the will of the people would have huge long term economic benefit to both the Republic and Northern Ireland. He asserted that if things stay the way they are now, Brexit would cause the Republic to move far beyond the North economically. He concluded by saying that post-Brexit Northern Ireland is a grim prospect which could well see economic decline and a return to ethno-nationalist conflict. Opening the opposition was main speaker Mr Peter Beck. He began by saying that this wasn't a debate about the Queen or the United Kingdom or how great said things are. This was a debate about setting aside the bombastic notions of nationalism and realising that we are better off as part of the UK. He dismissed the claims that Brexit will bring about five to ten years of slow recession, commenting that United Ireland would likely bring about the same results, and claimed that the esteemed studies utilised by the proposition were actually funded by none other than Sinn Féin. <laughs> he concluded that the proposition would miss the idealists who would swiftly become realists if we lost the millions of pounds a year that the UK gives us. Continuing with the proposition with Mr Connor Hogan. As a member of the rare breed of leftist Brexit voter, Mr. Hogan asserted that he was in a special position within this debate. He claimed that in the United Ireland, North and South would have the capability to build a new country on their own terms, without being dictated to by outside forces. He laid out a new Ireland where we would have funding for both Ulster Scots and the Irish language, a new flag, a new anthem, and a new outlook for the future. Speaking second of the opposition was ambitious Conservative candidate for South Belfast, Mr. George Moore, <laughs> whose pushing of party political polemic was not welcome and as a result was not included in the minutes. Continuing with the proposition was Mr. Jason Bunting. Mr. Bunting peppered his speech with various inspiring quotes from either Michael Collins or Liam Neeson, there was some dispute. <laughs> he claimed that Britain cares only for Northern Ireland enough to keep it barely afloat, and that the opposition had provided no salient plan for the border post-Brexit. He claimed that remaining part of the EU was a vital part of ensuring the peace process would continue smoothly, which he followed almost immediately with a rallying call for feminism. <laughs> Speaking thirdly for the opposition was Mr. Harry Adair. He wished to distance himself from the flowery dream of the proposition by stating that there are no substantial economic arguments for United Ireland. He claimed that the EU was littered with failures with regard to provincial issues and that United Ireland would soon fall behind other EU countries. He concluded somewhat ironically with his own version of the flowery dream by evoking the past where Belfast was once labelled as the Athens of the North. Conclude <laughs> <laughs> the proposition was for Shea Glasgow. He claimed that Northern Ireland itself is born out of conflict, a temporary solution to a permanent problem which has been going on for far too long. 
He asserted that we live in a country that solidifies communities while respecting differences, and that while the proposition may be hopeful, the opposition are hopeless. Continuing the concluding the opposition, so the debate was Dr. Craig Miller. He derided the proposition for refusing to entertain the thought that Brexit may actually be to the benefit of this country. He claimed that in a post-Brexit Britain, in five years' time, we would be languishing in the midst of a prosperous trade deal which would be more beneficial than those that would come as a result of a united Ireland. If we pull the trigger on that Ireland, before seeing how Brexit unfolds, we will potentially be missing out on the best opportunity this country has had for years. Questions heard from Connor Ardell, Michael Beals, Finn, Peter Doran, Declan, and Ryan Neal. A vote was taken based on House opinion prior to the debate, which read 37 ayes, 28 nays, and 26 abstentions. Meanwhile, a casting vote based on speaker's performance on the motion, this House supports a post-Brexit United Ireland, was taken, which read 44 ayes, 32 nays, and 15 abstentions. May I take the minutes as read? That I will take one very brief uh, piece of private members' business about what one has anything that will be Yourself, uh, given that Trump's reconsidering the two-state solution in Israel, I would like to propose to the House whether or not they support the two-state solution. Please, God. <laughs> <laughs> Put the genie back in the bottle. No. I would. Mean, <laughs> <laughs> so they like to get started. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Literally, anyone. No. No. What's the last half office I've for lunch? Oh, this is a drastic departure from tradition. I'd ask you to stand up. Would you get a response? Do you have something on you? It's not for me, it's from Rachel. Answer the question, man. Answer. Well, I. Rachel, it's the I went for What? Uh, I have an egg. <laughs> <laughs> I've really at the eggs recently. Like honest, Scott, I've never eaten eggs until now. Um, what this you've very done this very yet? Well, in the last couple of weeks, yes. So, I was experimenting yesterday. Oh, I was trying to eggs. And I was very unsuccessful in my endeavours. It's so hard. It's hard. It really is. So I'm thinking of it. Like, I really enjoy a good punch day. How do you do it? You get a punch day. So... You can do this whole thing. Oh, I can't do it. I'm not learning on your cooking skills. I'm not learning on your I'm experimenting, I'm trying to get to fry an egg with, I really enjoy them on toast at the moment. Uh, but egg on toast, fried egg. Uh, I'm trying to get a runny yolk. I'm a blue boy. What? That's another question. Do you have something on me here? Do you have something on me? Maybe that's why I was 
sitting in the room, as many people know. I'm going to stop this now. Debating only the most important issues here this year, the correct coaching of eggs. That didn't technically count as a question present, so I'll take one more question. Uh, yourself, Mr. Solomon. I technically have two questions, but one was pretty short. <laughs> it's not that hard, people. <laughs> like, pick your favourite question out of the two and ask now. Alright. <laughs> so, I was actually looking for the constitution the other day. Interesting article. Uh, it details the terms and things of life membership. It says that a life membership will last until the end of a person's natural life. Do you agree that this is severe discrimination against the undead and must be rectified? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't have a philosophy degree, so I'm severely unqualified for this debate, but I would say that, you know, sentience is sort of a prerequisite for membership of the society, we pride ourselves on being unlike much of the other student body being sentient. So, <laughs> it's one of our you know, defined qualities. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say sentience is sort of a prerequisite. Uh, no, we're not having another question. We're moving on. It's a debate to be had. You're just prevaricating so you don't have to speak. But with that, we'll move on to the maze. Uh, seven minute speeches, first and last minute are protected. I will tell you, hit my gavel to signify uh, no shots to the face, pull the belts, not keep it clean. Yes, sir. Who has my pen? <laughs> I need this pen. I need this pen. I need this pen. I need this pen. Where's my pen? It's right beside you. It's a nice purple one. Oh, that's oh, right. Right. Can I use it? to speak on an issue uh, of which has affected each and every single one of us over the last month, and hopefully for the better. This house welcomes the collapse of Stormont. Today I'll be speaking to you on a key issue, which has led us to such collapse of government. My colleague here will be speaking about the current system and the future, how this system will work. And together we will outline why we believe in this motion, and why we urge that you should support it too. Firstly, to put it into context to why we bring a motion to the House this evening, especially for those that might be living under a rock, Northern Ireland's power sharing system has collapsed. Uh, after Sinn Féin refused to return to Stormont Executive, ending more than a decade of joint rule between the nationalists and unionist politicians. Now, I know last year there was extensive roof uh, repairs happening on Stormont, and we are not saying that Stormont's roof is the collapse, although it mightn't be a bad thing if the politicians run it. But uh, we are talking about a collapse of Stormont in the government. So to propose a, a snap election to give uh, the electorate an opportunity, uh, we are not uh, talking uh, about a government which is failing to deliver, and not the bigotry, uh, sectarian scandals that we have seen. Uh, to welcome a snap election and offer the, op 
opportunity to vote for a new government instead of the failing DUP majority government. We are not suggesting the Stormont executives collapse altogether so that the hard work that we've seen since the Good Friday Agreement of 1998 to be abolished. Sinn Féin's Martin McGuinness resigned as Deputy First Minister on the 9th of January, the party of the week denominated which they didn't, and therefore Northern Ireland Assembly collapsed. Northern Ireland will no longer continue to govern, which ended the decade of power sharing, with new elections called on the 2nd of March. So, a mandatory coalition seemed fine and dandy. On paper, it seemed like it was the perfect solution. Presented by the SDLP UUP government, drafted by the civil servants, judiciary, British and Irish governments. In the Belfast Agreement, or in Irish, uh, to Belfast, uh, commonly known as the Good Friday Agreement, 1998. However, as we've seen over recent years, a political system that has served some politicians raging self-interests, corrupted self-interests, through bigotry, ways and means. We have seen the fundamentals of 2016 collusion and corruption ripe, with parties also abusing the systems that were put in place by the Good Friday Agreement, such as the abuse of petitions of concern. However, yeah. Would you mind giving a few examples of some of these abuses of power and corruption and then maybe highlighting or elucidating why these are worse than the alternative which would have been no agreements and alternative or additionally how the agreement could have been made better to prevent those breaches? Okay, I'll take, I'll take the first section. I'm not going to go into too much detail on the, on the alternative, but one of the main points I'll move on to there is RHI, but there's also the social investment fund. There's also the uh, continuous sectarian sort of discrimination of nationalists through the Irish, to the, the reluctance of involving any sort of Irish language act, which you may have already identified with my small little Irish, including my speech. <laughs> uh, but the straw that did finally break the camel's back is the RHI. It's important to remember that the collapse of this assembly occurred. It was through the sheer arrogance of the main political party in Northern Ireland, but more importantly, the arrogance and incompetence and reluctance to accept responsibility as the First Minister of Northern Ireland. It was the Christmas present Northern Ireland wanted for. Just like the flag protests, or the flag protests, <laughs> a couple of years ago. RHI, the Renewable Heat Incentive, possibly corruption built into the very start, are designed to be corrupted at a later stage. An energy scheme, which was adapted from the current British scheme, <coughs> But without the cost control measures, because that's how we do it in Northern Ireland. And of course, it's costing us £85,000 a day of taxpayers' money. If it wasn't enough, the minister in charge at the time setting it up, Arlene Foster, who would later become the former First Minister. How is going back to Home Rule going to achieve anything with RHI? I never said that we're going back to Home Rule, nor do I want to go back to Home Rule. A, department minister at the time, B, leader of the party, and C, the former first minister. The crux of the matter is that she refused to stand down temporarily while an independent judicial review occurred. And immediately when this news broke, she refused to apologise to the people of Northern Ireland, not mentioning delegations that she then bullied the next minister of the department which came after her. This is ministerial accountability, or lack of. We have seen politicians 
across the world in dem democratic countries, including across the border in Britain, <coughs> have been fired or sacked for a hell of a lot less. We are talking corruption at the core of our democracy, which no other democracy government, dem dem democratic government would have survived over the last period. £85,000 a day designed to be corrupted. And the arrogance of the DUP is resulting in half a million pounds of overspend for Northern Ireland. To put this into context, if this happened in Britain, it will be a twelve billion pound overspend. Go. So you're saying all of this without um, the independent inquiry taking place? Surely it'd be better for that to happen and then for you to make these judgments. Well, I am not. I am not standing up here and making any false allegations uh, of of which. Arlene Foster did or didn't put the cost control measures in. I'm saying that she was the minister of the department at the time, of which didn't put them in. I'm not making any allegations that she herself was behind this. The people of Northern Ireland should not and will not be subjected to this. This is like a husband having an affair. The wife, finding out, being presented all the images, the raunchy images that they are, and him still turning around and being like, no, no, it didn't happen. This happens. We must give the people of Northern Ireland an opportunity to have their say over these new allegations. With the collapse of Stormont, we've already seen the DUP being put into damage control. Now reversing their decision to apologise for it side and accepting an independent inquiry. So I urge you on the 3rd of the 2nd of March, get out and vote. Get out and vote for change. David August Vota, Arthur Vota, Modem August, Harshan Shah. I propose this motion, Gunnar Mia Mother. the corruption, which is definitely going to be the crux of any sort of debate we have about Stormont. Obviously, Stormont is corrupt. I don't need to regurgitate the figures already provided by Killian about government overspends and what this represents, but this does not mean we welcome its collapse per se. What we say is that corruption needs to be addressed within Stormont. The what the point of my speech is going to be is address the proper ways that Stormont is the best benefit to the Northern Irish people we have, and how without fully collapsing the system, we can fix what it is. Now, the first point I need to make is that power sharing is the greatest stability that there has been in Northern Irish history. And it is a very short history. Barely over 90 years there has actually been a Northern Ireland. In terms of the grand scale of things in the world, this is a very young nation. And the point is that for most of this nation's history, no, it had corruption that is not even comparable to what we have today. The unionist dominated government completely subjugated large portions of the population. Compared to this, Stormont is a paradise, which is something you will never, ever hear. So, what does this mean? Is that power sharing has to be protected. You talked about why you welcome Stormont collapse, but you provide no guarantees that whenever you restore some kind of alternative, that somehow this is going to be either more representative or that power sharing can suit the community better. We have very carefully constructed mechanisms within the Good Friday Agreement, within St Andrews, and this is the best way that we are able to bring these two communities and ensure that power is distributed among them. And this, more than anything else, 
is the key thing that must be protected in any kind of Northern Irish government going forward. So, I would like to talk about the fact that there is much bigotry and sectarianism that goes on within Storm within the Northern Irish government. But what I'd like to address to Killian, what I'd like to address to the proposition is, once you collapse Storm, once you bring that very lovely building down, what are you going to replace it with? Is Arlene Foss... Yes? Yeah. You are presuming, like I've already outlined, that we want the entire collapse. We want a snap election to give the people a democratic chance to vote out this government which, may I add, have no programme for government. So you want a different government. If we elect the SDLP and the UUP by some magic shot in March, is that not storming? Are you suggesting that we relocate to another building? It seems to me like they're still going to be having the same power sharing institutions that already exists. Now, the point that I make is the fact is, if we call a snap election, if Stormont collapses, this doesn't mean the people in the DUP, this doesn't mean that the militants within Sinn Féin are going to disappear into the woodwork. They're still going to be there. And something we need to acknowledge is this is who the people vote for. Many of us don't like it, some of us will like to not acknowledge it, say it's only because of the voting system, but this is who people want to vote for. I've had people that come to me say, oh, well, you know, no matter what I think this March, I think I'm going to vote DUP just because I have to. And that's the mentality that some people have, and that's what's going forward. The point is, just if you're collapsing Stormont, that mindset and the people who enforce that mindset are not going to disappear. No, the point is, if we're going to fully collapse Stormont, you said you're not going to fully collapse Stormont, but I have doubts in your guarantees that you can't fully collapse Stormont, we need to look at what the alternatives are. Now, if there is any chance, any chance at all, of anything that happens, snap elections, if there's instability, direct rule then becomes something that goes on the cards. You say you don't want it, if your snap elections don't go the way that you want, if things get more and more confusing, then direct rule goes on the table again. And direct rule cannot be on the table again. That's not something that benefits anyone in Northern Ireland. There needs to be a Northern Irish government by Northern Irish people. If you call yourself British, Irish, Northern Irish, other, I don't care. That's what a government needs to be. And we need to ensure above all else that that's the sort of government we're going to move forward with. Now, we also need to talk about the anarchy of a storm and collapse. The people who live in the North, the six counties, some colony of the United Kingdom, whatever you want to call it, I don't care, they are very bitter people a lot of the time. Okay? Now, there's been quite made about apathy. The people in Northern Ireland are very apathetic towards politics at the minute. I believe that's better than when we were burning down cars and riding on the streets on a daily basis. Even when we had Stormont, that was still happening. Flag protests and the like. Now, think of the anarchy that a Stormont collapse can cause. Apathy is, in my opinion, preferable to anarchy and chaos. And that is something we need to keep in mind moving forward with Stormont. No, but no. Now, what I'd like to point out is that we need to move forward with greater accountability in Stormont. All right, Killian already mentioned, I already mentioned the strengths of the Good Friday Agreement and what that means for the Northern Irish people. What people forget is that the Good Friday Agreement, as well as the St Andrews Agreement, are both constitutional building blocks. These were agreements which were never signed with them forming the permanent basis of the government within Northern Ireland. It was a setup, it was a building block, it was a foundation. It was meant to be reformed. It was meant for the power sharing governments to come together and say, we want to fix this. We know Northern Ireland's not great. There's obvious reasons as to why it's not great, but we can make it better. And that's what we believe needs to be done. There's already so much political pressure on the government at the minute that the clearest option seems to be to move forward with Storm and be able to make construct constructive change. Well, I mean, so, yes. So, considering you've just said that apathy 
is a, is a strength in Northern Irish politics. If people are apathetic towards politics, what well, actually makes you think that they're going to change those constitutional arrangements in the first place? I use apathy in the sense that it was only towards elections, and I believe that's something that also needs to change. The point I was merely making is that the apathy that exists often towards government is in the sense of no one is being anarchistic or violent anymore, at least not on a large scale. We definitely want everyone to be more engaged with politics, and I believe a reformed Stormont institution, whether or not DUP and Sinn Féin form a government, which let's be honest, I think we all know they probably will, or as someone else, that is the way that Stormont needs to move forward. It needs to move forward as Stormont, not any radical or incredibly unradical restructuring as they have proposed. Now the point is that Stormont is at its core about power sharing. That is what it's built upon and it is the best way to move forward with this. At its core, it means that people who see a British flag and swell with patriotism, or someone who looks at an Irish flag and weeps with pride, or someone who looks at any flag and feels absolutely nothing, <laughs> that's what Stormont exists for. It's for those people, and that's the sort of representation we need to move forward with. This representation, this dignity as a nation, only exists if we move forward with the institutions of Stormont that we have, by reforming, strengthening them, and believing in what they stand for. And that is why Absolutely, we must oppose Stormont's collapse. Thank you. First of all, I'm going to start off with some rebuttal, and then I'm going to go through my main two points, which are about the world context in which we live, the NI context in which we live, and then my third point will be split into two, into the two different futures of Northern Ireland, one of which, yes, is directorial. But to start with some rebuttal. Right, you, you don't understand the case the proposition has made. We don't want to end power sharing. We don't want Stormont to be torn down. I vote you could anyway. But Stormont has collapsed and it will collapse again. The entire point of Killian's speech is that it needed to collapse right now. How can corruption be addressed by the very same government if it continues to exist? How are its constitutional arrangements supposed to change if it's the same no, government? And no. Um, and actually, if you, when you look at it, like, you know, Carson's Protestant state was more stable but less democratic. Um, and just because people vote you, just because it's democratic, doesn't mean it actually works. Just look at Trump. The people there are saying, you know, this government isn't working, we still voted for it. Yes, she from that point, are you making a kiss against democracy? Democracy doesn't work always. And yes, sometimes sometimes it doesn't always work in NI. What we need is an efficient government, but I'll get on to that. Um, oh yeah, you, you said a lot about democracy, but how is it democratic if 50% of NI people don't even vote? They're apathetic, like you said. 
There's been an incredible decrease in turnout. The people don't care. And if it was compulsory to vote and it was fully democratic, our political system would look entirely different. We don't know what it looks like. No. And you kept on saying we need, we're going to break the Good Friday Agreement. We never said we wanted to break the new Good Friday Agreement. But I'm going to say later on how we might not need a Good Friday Agreement anymore and we might have to move past it. Okay, so my first point. Look at the world context in which we live. We live in a crucial period of history where decisions are being made which are shaking the continents. Like for example, Trump, Brexit, um, the populist reforms like spreading across Europe. And it's happening in NI as well. I do believe that this is one of the crucial junctures that will decide NI's future, and that is why we need the storms collapse right now. We have a potential for change in this election. They could have positive or even negative consequences, as I'm going to outline later. But we have come to a point with this government where the status quo is no longer viable. We just can't continue having DDP and Sinn Féin being our government. Why, why is it democratic? No. Why is it democratic? That before you even go into an election, you already know who's going to be governed because it's going to be DUP and Sinn Féin. Yes, Peter. You don't know that. Uh, you don't. don't. Yes, we do. No, you don't. No, you don't. It's in a but before the last one, we did know because they were literally just saying vote for Arlene so Martin McGinnis doesn't get first minister. Anyway, the voters are sick of the same old people going up to Stormont and doing the same old stuff. That is why we have landed in this situation where there's rampant corruption in Stormont. Well, no. Mandatory coalition is not democratic, and that's why we need to move past the Good Friday Agreement. The point about Stormont is that Stormont collapsed, Stormont has collapsed before, but Stormont gets back up in the seats. The proposition believes in a different Stormont, in a better Stormont. We believe in a brighter and better future in Northern Ireland for everyone, and that cannot be maintained by the status quo, which is what the opposition is advocating for. The opposition just wants everything to be the same. They want the power sharing which we've had for 18 years to just continue. We need a difference in NI. The world context has changed, NI's changed. We need to change our constitution, well, uh, Good Friday agreements, so we can adhere to the new context in which we live. <sighs> okay, so now I'm going to talk about the two futures which can possibly come out of this. The first, which is, yes, a coalition of smaller bodies from both sides of the community. For I have said that we do need to move past the Good Friday Agreement, it's quite evident in Northern Ireland that we can't right now. We haven't moved on as a society where we can leave post-conflict politics behind, no you. But that's what we need to do. We can't stay like this forever. It's ridiculous. So yes, I'm saying like we could have any combination, maybe even SDLP, UUP, Alliance, um, but we don't know where they would act in government. Because Sinn Féin, Dean, DUP have been playing cargo politics for so long, yes you? I've already stated that people from Sinn Féin and DUP aren't going to disappear into the woodwork. If you're not destroying Stormont, <coughs> how on earth are you going to... Right, right, I've got your point here. 
basically, they're not going to be in government. SCLP, UUP don't have an influence on government. Sinn Féin, DUP don't have an influence on government either. It's going to be something different, not a mandatory coalition, which is not democratic. I mean, you guys were talking about democracy, but we don't live in a democratic state. We need to move to a different system. And secondly, the second option, which you're not going to like because, yes, it is directorial. If we vote in the same people again, DUP and Sinn Féin cannot form a government. It's like throwing the toys out of the planet pram so the adults need to step in. Decisions have to be made with Brexit, with everything that's going on. We can't just live in a state of uncertainty, uncertainty because NI is a gridlock state in the current place in which we have. So things need to be done. But under the current political climate, we don't know what would happen under directorial. So as we stated, that is why we welcome Stormont's collapse. So happy to propose. Okay, so I think there's two current definitions of this debate on the outside and your side of the house. I think we've taken the collapse of Stormont to mean one thing, and I think you lot have taken it to mean something else. So I think based on the fact that we've got to take your definition of Stormont, it's a bit like playing games here, but I'll try. Uh, I think there's four points I really want to try and address here. One of them is home rule. The second one is the fact that Northern Ireland is still, in reality, a post-war nation. We're 18 years since the Good Friday Agreement. If you go to any other place in the world that's 18 years post such major conflict, you don't have roads and hospitals. Okay, we have done brilliantly here. Okay, the power sharing agreement and Stormont has done amazingly. Going back. So a home rule is just going to be an absolute disaster, and I'll go on to that. Next point is to do with corruption. I'm sorry, you've, you've identified very few points to do with corruption. I'm not doubting the fact I'm about, and I'm going to give one myself, of the corruption in Stormont. But as far as I'm concerned, you've not actually given anything apart from RHI. And then I'm going to talk about Mike Nesbitt. I know that's not like a bit of a dirty word here, but I'm going to talk about that. To get rid of Champagne and the DUP, you have to get people to stop voting for them. To get people to stop voting for them, you have to put something forward that doesn't scare either side. Okay? Mike Nesbitt, I think, has actually done something ridiculously brave. He's told unionists to transfer to a nationalist party, and it's scared the life out of the DUP. This is the first time we've had, since power sharing, we've had a leader of a unionist party going to people, actually, I don't want you to transfer to other unionists. I want you to transfer to somebody that wants to try to make Northern Ireland better. Now, if that, in some miracle, five years, ten years down the line, results in a border poll, so be it. Hopefully they'll see the fact that Northern Ireland has improved and they'll maintain what we've currently got. But that's a gamble he is currently taking. Okay, no, no. It's a gamble he's currently taking, and I applaud him for that. And I hope the rest of the people in this room do so too. Get people out and stop getting people down that line as well. It's a brilliant line. Collapsing the storm to try and resolve the RHI, right, in the Irish Language Act, is absolutely farcical. I'm sorry. You talk about trying to correct corruption. You need judicial review for that. You need a functioning government to start putting stuff down into the courts. They're the people who deal Wait. with corruption. Uh, 
to collapse government to get to that point defies logic. The reality of why we've currently got a collapsed Stormont is Martin McGuinness wanted some form of legacy from murdering people. Whereas he thought I'm going to that he was going to collapse Stormont. And that's all we've got down to. The man had amyloidosis, so he therefore collapsed Stormont. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. The Irish language that is hugely important. It's a cultural bedrock for most of the people in Northern Ireland on both sides of the fence. It's cultural, it's not economic. It needs to come through the culture secretary of Northern Ireland. It has to. Okay, and we need to start on both sides of the house having emphasis this is a cultural integration that both sides need to uphold, and we need to start going down that line. To collapse government and get an Irish language act is foolish. RHI, on the same side of things, do we even know if it's corruption or just some idiot making a mistake? I think it's some idiot making a mistake rather than corruption. Now, let me tell you about some corruption. If you go and try and find a car parking space up in Belfast International Airport, you can pretty much only park in Belfast International car parks because the local council go around closing down other private competitors to keep the prices of Belfast International car parking spaces open. This is fully endorsed by Stormont. They go around in an aeroplane finding car parks and cancelling. I know it seems ridiculous, but that's the level of corruption we have in Northern Ireland right now, where they won't even allow a private car park that's going to compete against their own profit-making machines aligning their own pockets. So that's the level of corruption we're dealing with here. How does collapsing Stormont and not putting, how does collapsing Stormont not putting things to judicial review actually get us anything further than where we've got now, which is leading towards home rule? And now this is where I'm going to build on Hugh's point. In Northern Ireland, we've currently got 25% more people experiencing mental illness as a result primarily of the troubles than anywhere else in the United Kingdom. Now if we go down the economy first agenda that I like and the Tories love is only going to drive Northern Ireland backwards. Northern Ireland does not need more cuts. It needs more money spent in the right areas. It needs money to be spent to get people that have severe mental illness as a result of the troubles. The level of PTSD, depression and anxiety in Northern Ireland is 25% higher than the rest of the UK. So if we start cutting down services, what will happen under Home Rule? We get further away from where we actually need to get to, which is a truly functioning country. We've got some of the worst levels in Northern Ireland of infrastructure and waiting lists. Going down any way to get on. Um, can you say that the reason my mental health is so bad, the reason my infrastructure is so bad, is because our government doesn't work, because it's constantly gridlocked, because of sectarian fighting between the DUP okay. and Sinn Féin, because they don't get along? Okay, I agree with you. I agree. I agree completely. We have an in... We have a... A government right now which is not functioning to its capacity. It's true, which is why I started off by saying I applaud what Mike McFit has done. This is working within the structures that we've got. He set out, I'm no UUP supporter, but I think he has done one of the bravest things possible that I've seen in Northern Irish politics. Okay? And I think we have to applaud that. We have to work through what we've currently got right now, which is power sharing. It's knowing half the people in this room, maybe two thirds want one thing, and the other half to a third want something completely different. And as such, we have to basically start listening to both sides, 
doing more things like Mike Nesbitt done, which are really brave. His political career is probably going to end after this election. Let's be honest with us, ourselves here. But it's the first time somebody has put their head above the parapet. Okay, it's the first time we will start seeing potentially unionist voters vote for a nationalist based on what their own politicians have said. Okay, this is something forward. This is a step in the right direction. This is working within the framework that we've got in Northern Ireland. It's not collapsing the institutions that we've fought for for the last 20 years. I completely urge you to vote against this motion. It's ludicrous that people think that the problems with Northern Ireland can be resolved through going back 20 years. questions to either side. Uh, so if anyone has a question for the proposition to begin with, yourself, Mr. Robert. Uh, Mr. Chairman, members of the House, my question to the proposition is this. Um, throughout their speeches, both, both have indicated that they want to snap elections in order to bring accountability to government in the hope that a new government will be formed and that uh, an efficient and democratic government will take its place. Um, the question I have with this is the problem with Northern Ireland's electoral system and mandatory coalition under the constitutions that we have with the Good Friday Agreement, the Andrews Agreement, is that you can't necessarily force two parties into that coalition. Now, there has to be one for the executive to exist, but they don't have to go into coalition. They can continue to recycle elections. So, considering that we've now collapsed Stormont and we're hearing rumours from Sinn Féin that they refuse to negotiate on things such as marriage equality, and RHI, and the Irish Language Act, things that we know are red lines for the DUP and they refuse to negotiate over, it's unlikely any time soon that an executive is going to be formed again. At least under the for former government, while there was corruption and it was inefficient, at least there was a functioning government. Now that we've collapsed Stormont, it, it is likely that we're going to have a continual cycle election until either the DUP engine being voted out or one of them like, breaks one of the red lines. I'll take this. Um, that's what I was talking about in the second half of my speech, uh, Connor. In that situation, we're probably going to go back to direct rule, and as I was saying, that's not what everyone wants because it's anti-democratic. But the point is that at least the secretary of state can do something that is functioning. If our electoral system is, isn't producing a functioning government, if it's bringing back people who won't go into government to speak with each other, who won't get policy passed, who just cannot govern Northern Ireland, then frankly, Northern Ireland doesn't deserve to have its own government. The opposition might respond that way. So I strongly support those Sinn policies. I support things like marriage equality. I, I spoke to somebody in the DEP recently, and they're actually, the first time ever, starting to move towards allowing fatal fetal abnormality abortion, which for them is a miraculous step. Uh, I don't get those people. So, look, collapse instalment in reality means home rule. That's the bottom line here. That's what they're not getting. Westminster just cannot understand what goes on in Northern Ireland. Unless you have lived here, I don't think you can. Yeah. Most recently, I was up in Derry, London, Derry, and I was speaking to people around the town, and the stories that you get out of people from there are like nowhere else I've ever heard in the UK. They may exist in other war-torn places. There was a story I heard about this gentleman who basically has had both his kneecaps shot, okay? Uh, he's now then had to be told by the local paramilitaries he's got to go to the GP to get opioids, 
to sell them back to the paramilitaries. And if he doesn't do that, he's going to be kicked out of his house where he's got his three children. That doesn't happen in any other place in the UK, and I don't think you can experience that unless you've lived here. Going back to Home Rule, which is collapsing Stormont, is going backwards 20 years. Okay, we have to work within the framework that we've got, whether we like it or not. Power sharing is necessary. The best government the UK have had in recent time was the Tory Lib Dem coalition. Coalitions are good. Okay, they get people talking, they get people debating. Power sharing can work once we stop people realising that voting for the extreme parties is necessary. That was born out of the Thatcher, Tony Blair negotiations which basically panned to them. Tony Blair wanted a legacy, he got one, it was Iraq, not Northern Ireland. But that's why he pounded to the extremists, and that's why people now are voting Sinn Féin and DUP. We need to go down the line of let's start getting people to think about who they're voting for, let's keep the frameworks we've got, let's not collapse Stormont. And we'll have to take a question for the opposition. Mr. Bob? Um, yeah, so I think there's a problem, as Greg said, about definition. Um, I think what the proposition is basically that we lack control of collapse in terms of how we shouldn't be in to continue in government with the DUP, who were ruling through just blatant arrogance basically, um, and like the incompetence of RHI, the absolute disgrace of not allowing marriage equality or the Irish language act, like how we shouldn't be in to continue in government with people like this. I don't think the Sinn Féin in government is a good thing. Okay, so the fact that they can't work in government with the DEP is a good thing. Okay, uh, I don't think the DEP should be there either. I think when you've got people that are former heads of paramilitary within your organisation, it does not bode well for the general public. Okay, you've got, I think in the Northern Ireland, 72% of people voted for the Good Friday Agreement, which is basically 72% people of, percent of the Northern Irish people voted against violence. Okay, but yet the violent leaders are now in power, or that were once violent leaders, because of the pandering that Tony Blair and, Mar and Maggie Thatcher did. That's what we've got here. This is the legacy of Tony Blair. Just like he mucked most things up in the UK, in, in England and Scotland and Wales, he's mucking them up in Northern Ireland still. Okay, we've got pandering to the extremists, and it's what we have to stop. My best bit, I'm not going to be voting for UP, I've got who I'm going to be voting for, but... He's done the first thing that we could possibly do, which is put his head above the parapet and told people to start voting down politi political lines, not sectarian ones, and I applaud him for that. Proposition, do you want to do a rock, paper, scissors to see you? No, no, no. I'll let him. I'll let him. Um, again, Greg talks with this mic, and I said, Greg's right here. Talks about Mike Nesbitt. Um, again, this Mike Nesbitt thing wouldn't have come out without this snap election. Without the snap election, he wouldn't have had to come out and say his support for SFD. It's completely real that. In terms of uh, the question of working with Sinn Féin, uh, we'll refer back to, to your speech of the Irish Language Act. The Irish Language Act was a, a redline issue for Sinn Féin, among many other things, such as the Social Investment Fund, the RHI, which I got to talk about. These were redline issues highlighting corruption, where a failing government which could not work together, so therefore collapsed. And, and the, the point of my speech was, if, if, you bring, if you relate this to a business or a company or organisation where somebody implements a failing, uh, just ludicrous scheme and it breaks down through, through corruption, 
they will be fired or they will be suspended due to an investigation and she refused to move so therefore she was pushed. And with that we'll take sort of points on the motion if you have any questions that you like sort of generally address to both sides and sort of on the motion itself. Uh, um, so yeah, I mean, the clock of government of any kind is in itself quite an extreme act. Right? So I would like both the proposition and opposition to discuss perhaps the pros and cons of brinkmanship as a tactic for achieving change. Can I elaborate on that? Uh, so yeah, basically what brinkmanship is, is pushing to an extreme limit right to the present. So for instance, uh, an example would be nuclear weapons, right, mapped, mutually assured destruction. That could be brinkmanship. <coughs> I'm, I'm sorry, do you mean like brinkmanship is in violent tactics, like an IRA or something? No. Yeah, I mean, he means that the more they won't work another anymore to save the bullet. <laughs> 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 This goes heavy enough. <laughs> I'm too fast for to take this in. Yeah. 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 It's not a white violence. is all. is the only thing that the DUP and Sinn Féin know how to do. We've seen it time and time again. We've seen it on flags, we've seen it on welfare reform, and we understand that the government needs to reform itself. And yes, brinkmanship is a disgusting electioneering tactic, and it's one that the UP and Sinn Féin have used at every single cycle. To keep Arlene First Minister, that was brinkmanship. As I said, Sinn Féin pushing away welfare reform until they could get Britain to do it so they didn't have to take responsibility. That was brinkmanship as well. So in terms of the context of this debate, in terms of brinkmanship, we don't welcome the fact that Sinn Féin and DUP have both used brinkmanship in order to collapse Stormont, and neither of them are willing to keep Stormont working. What we'd rather see is that brinkmanship ends, that people stop trying to push an exact extreme for this is what we want, we're always going to get it, and then we're just going to push things until they're almost collapsing, and then just do a complete U-turn anyway because we want to keep our power. And so what we say is that we don't welcome Stormont's collapse because we want people to more, be more constructive on their views, their policies, their ideas, and we think that Stormont should stay Storm should stay and not collapse so that that can be moved forward with. Rock, paper, scissors. Oh, you know, I don't know where much of this. I think I got an idea from you speech of my book, Brinkmanship is, and um, I'd like to say that obviously <laughs> the proposition does not condone this either. Like, um, but what we would like to see, and what the point of storming collapsing right now is, is that we form a different government, one that isn't DUB and Sinn Féin, how we have been using these tactics. If we vote in different parties, if we get direct ruling, for it's incredibly anti-democratic, brinkmanship won't be used. What we want to see in the future of Northern Ireland is a better Northern Ireland, where we're more stable, where we've moved past our post-conflict society, and where we don't have to use brinkmanship tactics anymore. And maybe we can be a normal society, guys. That will take one more question to either side. Uh, any last questions for the proposition at all? Once and twice, Mr. Beck. Okay, uh, most common reference in our speech, uh, so-called sectarian fighting between the two parties. Twenty years ago, before we had the power sharing of the proposition, spent most of their speeches 
uh, saying how awful it was. Sectarian fighting involved murdering police officers. So I think the sectarian, so-called sectarian fighting, which is in reality parties disagreeing about things, which is ultimately what parties are meant to do, is seems so bad because we have had power sharing for most, well, for all of my life, for most of the houses where. Right? Uh, so in that sense, to say we should get rid of power sharing because of fighting between two parties is, I think, completely ridiculous. <laughs> it was just to make it like, um, no, no, I'm standing over the computer, they don't like what's standing for me. But anyway, um, my point is that I was referencing how NI society is basically based on either nationalist or unionist. That's how our society is set up, we're a post-conflict society, and that is what our parties are formed on. I'm saying it shouldn't be the case, we should be a normal society where our parties are based on left wing and right wing, not because like you believe in one form of nationalism over another. We're not going to, we weren't actually comparing, you know, sectarian violence to fighting. I would never do that in a pacifist. But I do have to say that like you can't just go and say like no one's still not getting murdered because they evidently are still getting murdered. And we need to move past that in society. Opposition. Um, well, I think the most important way to normalise politics in Northern Ireland is by allowing Stormont not to collapse. A government should work not based on what is left or right wing, but what's pragmatic and what works. And there are ways within the Stormont institution moving forward we can do this. Whether or not it's through, as Craig mentioned, properly addressing things through judicial review, public inquiries that are currently going into things like the RHI scandal, or whether it's to things like We've already mentioned the benefits of what Mike Nesbitt has said, or if we move forward with a more assertive opposition, this is also going to raise public awareness and be able to allow Stormont to move forward. These are mechanisms in place, without Stormont collapsing, that we can normalise politics here, that we can move towards a society that is both more pragmatic, more representative, and presents a government which is more accountable as a whole. And one last question, the opposition, Sprat. So I'm somewhat surprised that the timing of this election and the collapse of Stormont hasn't really come up more. Um, the things going around for regarding Northern Ireland and its place within the UK and indeed the EU. Uh, because we have seen in the DUP support for leaving the EU and their sort of manipulating of rules within Westminster through publishing ads in London newspapers, that they are entirely incapable of governing in the interests of Northern Ireland and solely along ideological lines. So I say that the collapse of Stormont is the prime opportunity to rid the executive of the DUP and replace it with someone who is more capable of a, a negotiating for ourselves uh, in a new government uh, for, uh, beyond the triggering of Article 50. Like, I don't want to get into the last week's debate about the EU and Northern Ireland again. Uh, I, don't, I personally don't understand why the DUP supported Brexit. <coughs> like, to my, every sort of logical bone in my body says that if you are a politician in Northern Ireland, you don't support leaving the EU just because the one issue is the border that is really, really hard to get around. It will be, we will get around it, but we, I don't know how, uh, although I put some arguments forward last week. Uh, I think to myself that are the DUP capable of actually governing the, the Northern Irish people? No, they're not. But the bottom line is, is people are so scared 
that Northern Ireland is going to become part of the Republic, that they are going to vote for that. Because the one thing the DUP stand for is not doing that. And that is what people are very scared of. So whilst you've got a hardline agenda from people like Sinn Féin, you're going to get people voting for the DUP. If you had the nationalists and the republics going, all we want is a border poll, and once a border poll is done, we will accept the result, you'll probably find that the DUP cease to exist. Because the border poll was voted on, right? And if that's all that you get down the Republican nationalist side, you'll find that the support for the DUP starts to disintegrate. And that's what is needed from the Republican nationalist side. Well, um, in terms of the, the DUP MPs of Westminster, uh, you know, Arlene Foster came solidly uh, one week, and then when uh, Margaret Ritchie was signed up in Westminster as her PMP, talking about the rights of the DUP MP males were shouting abuse over her while she was speaking. So, I mean, this misogyny is right within the UP, and uh, yeah, I know I'm a nationalist, but they should be able to go. <laughs> right, and with that, I'll move to the two votes of the House. So, our first vote for this evening is prior opinion. So, if you were in favour of the motion before you heard the speeches this evening, uh, please raise your hands and say aye. And if you were against the motion uh, before you heard the speeches this evening, please raise your hands and say nay. Nay. And if you weren't really ever resolved to take it before you in the house this evening, you sort of abstain on the motion, please raise your hands and say nay. And this vote is now on speaker building, so if you thought the proposition more effectively argued their case this evening, please raise your hands and say hi.
love to join us in the bar afterwards if you have any I can't believe there's anything else to say, so I'm going to stop talking. <laughs>